Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casaza. here for more than five minutes today with Chris Anderson. Chris, welcome in. Welcome back to college football in 2023, where the last time we talked, I think the Big 12 had 12 teams. Um, World changes fast, does it not? Yes, it does. I feel like this bout of realignment happened a lot faster or maybe quieter. I don't know if quieter than, you know, the previous rounds. Uh, at least that West Virginia was involved in. I just feel like this was, hey, it's happening. There's no um, political intervention. There's no teams trying to jump in front of the other, like the Louisville WVU thing with the Big 12. Um, There's no, hey, maybe they're going to end up in this other league instead of this other league instead of this other league. It's just pretty straightforward. Hey, these two teams are going here. These two teams are going here. Nope. Now that we're going to go two more teams here, two more teams there. And that's it. And well, maybe not it, uh, but kind of straightforward this time around, at least so far. So fast too. And not much of a secret. Remember the Texas and Oklahoma thing that was just out of nowhere, blind side of the big 12. This one, I felt like once Colorado was in, you kind of felt like there were going to be more pieces from the Pac-12, and then Arizona comes aboard, and like, well, obviously it's going to be Arizona State and Utah now, and ta-da, that's it. And uh, to to underscore the not secret, Big 12 Media Day was July 12, 13, and there was a guy who covers Colorado at the meetings um, from the media, and I actually talked to him. Um, Brett McMurphy, everybody remembers Brett, was there, by the way, he had that look in his eye like it was, you know, 2010 again, like a sparkle, a pep in his step. Like he was he was back because he was the guy that did all the realignment stuff the first time. Famously told John Marinato that he was losing schools to the big, uh, excuse me, the ACC. Uh, the Big East Commissioner did not know that. Brett told him that was going to happen, called him up and told him, said, hey, I'm reporting this. Um, but again, like I saw him, he had the look in his eye. He was introducing me to the guy who covers Colorado. And I'm sitting there going, wow, that's bold. And like within a week, Colorado's in, and then a couple of days after that, you get the other schools and ta-da, 16-team conference here. Let's go to the team that we cover in what was and still is the Big 12, West Virginia, safely on the island of relevancy here in college sports, not having to be 
in fear of an outcast status or kind of some leper colony where they got to cut it until they prove themselves and then keep doing that and doing that despite all obstacles. Again, cozily in the Big Can 12. I in here, Mike? I got a question for you oh, yeah. on, on that. I, there's a strange feeling I have. Like with the way things went down with West Virginia in, in a dozen years ago, and even before that, back with the original departures from the Big East and and West Virginia was still in the old Big East. Mm-hmm. There's this this strange feeling if you're somebody who covers WVU or if you are a WVU fan of what happened to WVU, um, kind of limbo being in peril that the program was, you know, where they were going to end up or if they were going to land safely at that time. Is there any feeling, or should you, as someone who covers WVU, or for those listening, the WVU fans, feel any sort of remorse for what's happening? Or is it just the way WVU is treated? You're like, screw you guys. You you know, you left us out the hat to dry, and and we had to fend for ourselves. So I don't feel bad for anybody. What's your feelings on that for these other teams? I think it depends where you draw your bottom line on this stuff. If the bottom line is I just want to have something to do on Saturdays, and and root for a team and maybe you know basketball season too but like if you just want your team to be whole and somewhere so you can cheer and support and preoccupied by college football college basketball you probably don't feel too bad about this in fact you probably feel relieved because you could be looking around at different destinations right now or even different athletic departments saying like i would not trade spaces with them and how often is that the case at west virginia not very often right so to be on the 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 head side here instead of the tail side Apologies, tails, but that probably feels pretty good. And then, like, I think separately, too, there's still, like, a strong, large contingent of people who want this school to be in the ACC, and I get that, but here, here's one for you, Chris. Would you rather have, like, a, I guess, like, a if you're a, I don't know, if you're a team and you could give out, how about that, if you're a player and you could sign with a team right now and your NBA team you could sign with is the Big 12 or the ACC, who would you sign with? Seriously. Well, probably, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're going to look back on that ACC TV deal as one of the worst deals ever made by a conference. Do you know that the Big 12's current TV deal, which they just signed in the past year, is up before the ACC's existing deal? That yeah. blows my mind. It's crazy. wild. So, and then the other part about it is too is that again, where you draw your bottom line, and if and if you just care about your team, that's one. But like, if you are a fan of just the establishment, the tradition, the pageantry, the history of all this stuff, you probably care less about that now, just because you've been pushed so close to the edge for so many years. But it's completely obscure to me that Stanford is just out right now, and are they going to go independent? I don't know. That's not Notre Dame. It's a good school. I understand that. It's again, it's every year. It's one of the best athletic departments in the country. But you're talking about dragging your your Olympic sports teams all over the country now, as opposed to the West Coast, to play games because you have to. That's that's a strange thing to me. And like I f- I feel terrible for Washington State and Oregon State, which I think is a program that was maybe on the rise or at least turning a corner. I'm not sure how permanently, but they have been doing some good things slowly but surely with their coach and their the direction of their football program. But, you know, Cal, Washington State, Oregon State, Stanford are out, just out in the cold right now. They're going to join the Mountain West. That I just Something's going to happen. I know that. There's an there's a outcome here. I just have a hard time wrapping my head around it. And that's that's kind of where I go on this. I just don't like the way this stuff goes. I know what's happening. I know why it's happening. 
I don't have to like him. And I don't. And I feel like that Stanford is, again, this is like the mascot for what a college athletic department is supposed to be. And this is a mascot for what's gone wrong right now. And that that's hard for me to watch. And I think that some fans, maybe not as specifically, but I think in a general sense, feel that way. Like this is all going in a direction that does not make people comfortable. And I'm sure there are West Virginia fans who can observe that and appreciate that. And maybe that's why they feel so good about it now. But they may also know in the other the other shoe here is that this is not yet done. And if this does whittle itself down to 30, 36, 40 teams, you know, who's to say that West Virginia is in that group? So as as always, Chris, you're you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop here. Um I don't want to derail our fall camp threat uh podcast too much, but it is the ultimate in game whatever 50, 60, 48 teams and in some sort of do they all break apart for football and set up a revenue sharing model and then allow the teams to get back to playing regional rival rivalries more? You know, like, because I, I, I just don't see the SEC wanting to get out of this or the Big Ten out of their current setup because they are make, going to be making more money than the Big 12, even as it stands now. They're going to be making a lot more money than the ACC, both of those uh, conferences. So does it ultimately end up where all the teams kind of come together? Schools come together just for football to set something breaking apart. And then I'm assuming they would have to set up some sort of revenue share that would not be even. You know, it, it would be what I, you know, a lot of people would probably call fair um, to to what they bring to the table. Is that the ultimate end game here? Something like that. I think you've got the the skeleton. I'm not sure what the organs and the skin look like here, but I think you're probably probably on it. I don't know how big it's going to be, though. Because I think you're going to have a group that says, oh, 48, that's, that'll work. But there's going to be 12 or 14 schools that are not going to be competitive. And and then why do they want to do this? And I used to use Stanford as one of them. Like if Stanford was going to be like the 46th school or something like this in this conversation, and and probably realistically isn't going to win a national title with the way that they're going to consolidate power in these leagues, which is, you know, a small number of them getting, you know, nine-figure paydays, then does Stanford want to be like involved in this? Like, what are we doing? This doesn't make any sense. Let's Let's break away from this and be in our own little tier. So can they, I guess the question is, can they have a fourth level of division one football? You have three right now. You have the FCS, the group of five and the power five. If the power five becomes concentrated into like a 30 team NFL, so to speak. And I think it's going to be about that big. So you can actually have rivalries and and something regular. I'm not sure it's divisions or conferences, but clusters, let's say. Maybe it's geographic. Maybe it's conferences within these two conferences. I don't know. But there's still going to be a cut that is in between that elite level. So let's just say the elite. And then below that is your current power five. Like you're going to have something in the middle there. Can they all exist separate of the NCAA? And that's, that's a question to me because the college football playoff runs college football. Now, would that be the governing body for all of the quote unquote division one or just for that elite conference? And then would something else be in the place of, you know, I guess what we call like, Power five, one group of five FCS. I don't know, but I think you're on the, on the right track there. I don't know how it looks, but I think that you've got, like I said, you've got the skeleton there and, and how this forms itself over time. I don't know. I just, I just wonder how big that major conference is going to be. I used to think like maybe 48 teams more and more. I think about it now. Why do the 30 really good ones want to share with the 18 or so pretenders, frankly, and, and you know who those schools are. Are those schools just in it to collect those big paychecks? Maybe, but is that going to be acceptable for those 30 really good programs? And 
I have no indication why that would be. I think these people are really going to try to try to hog it all up as much and as often as they can. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You ready to turn it to WV football and see if they're going to be a pretender or contender this year, Mike? Oh, segue. Yeah. Solid. I tried. Um, yeah. So we are a week into this now. Started on Wednesday the second. We are into our sixth practice today on Tuesday. We'll pads full contact now, Chris. Pretty cool. This is when you start to learn some things about the players. The players have been learning things about playbook schemes, college football teammates, but now everything merges now. Players learn about what the real is when it comes to the stuff that they haven't already discovered that. Um, and then the team obviously learns around players and, and you you kind of accelerate from this point forward. Let's go back to last Wednesday, though. Um, anyone, anything standing out to you that we have or have not covered, which deserves more time and detail than we provided or which maybe deserves some spotlight that we have not yet provided? Well, I think we did touch on it before the, the season started because I think I asked you about Neil Brown's comments during um, Big 12 Media Days and how there seems to be, I didn't know if I wanted to go so far as to say confidence that this team is going to be good, but a lot of what has been said so far has kind of backed that up. And it's been some of the comments again from Neil Brown. Um, and you go through each of the position groups. You know, Jordan Leslie talking about how he has some different and new pieces that he's never had before uh, on that defense. Um, uh, Shadon Brown just said on Monday that this was the deepest his secondary has been since he's been here at WVU. Uh, the running back room is as deep as it's been in the last few years. The offensive line group, Matt Moore obviously loves that, not only the depth, uh, or not only the starters, but the depth. 
Uh, Neil Brown is saying that the wide receivers are deeper or more talented than people give credit for, that they may people may be kind of underselling what that uh, wide receiver room can be. Mike, is this fall camp hope or is any of this legit? Ooh, it's hard not to cast a vote for hope just because they've been so hopeful for so long. And I don't mean that in a way to to demean their achievements, which haven't been great. But I think when you say hopeful sometimes, like, well, they hope that they can get to this level. And that's that's a synonym for what I'm talking about here. Their hopefulness sometimes is that they they speak highly of certain units and players and ideas and angles that ultimately do not get to where they hoped they were going to be. Um, we've been down this before. I'll get off my soapbox. Everybody knows where I stand in this. But part of it, I think, is realistic. And I just think that they went about things differently. And it's 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 kind of a weird mix of young and old. Like, even their young players have been around for a little bit. Like, an Andrew Wilson Lamp is, I think a lot of people would agree, is a young player. But he's been here for a while. And, and he's gone through the whole strength and conditioning nutrition car wash now and is a bigger and better and more confident player. And there are people like that, you know, on the defensive line, um, you know, different, different parts and different positions that have gone through that, that kind of organic college football process. That's good. But also they, they brought in veterans that, that can play football because they have played football before, mostly in the secondary, but some on, you know, the defensive line look like they might actually click here too. Could they have done more on, you know, linebacker? Sure. Could they have done more at receiver? I doubt it. I mean, maybe better, quote-unquote, players, but they put a lot into receiver. And to kind of spin the past off the present, remember last year, Chris, when they were justifying the lack of numbers at receiver by saying if you have too many receivers, you're going to lose your receivers. It's a position where you have to keep people happy if you want the position to be healthy. Well, they added a ton of players to receiver this year, which is completely against the grain that they established last year. Why? Because their idea wasn't really what they said last year is probably not what they intended. It's what they said, but like they would rather have more players and more talent. Well, this year they took care of that. They went out and they got EJ Horton, uh, Noah Massey, Devin Carter, Jay Sean Pogue, in addition to Rodney Gallagher and Traylon Ray. That's six guys. They have six receivers last year. So they've actually stocked that in a way that they like an understanding that they had to change things to change things. And I look at just the additions they made there. It's kind of synonymous with what they did in the defensive backfield too, where they added, you know, two corners and two safeties um, defensive line. They added a defensive tackle and a defensive end and, and guys who were veterans of college football, older players. And I think if you just hear the way they talk about mm, experience and, and veteranness and, and knowledge and leadership, that's going to make a difference. They think, they hope, I would say, but I do think that it's a good plan and it can take off quicker than than kind of waiting for your hopes to become reality. Like if you're drawing your optimism upon results, that's a little bit different than drawing your optimism upon like hope. That makes sense? Of course it does. You said it. Well, that's why I had to ask because sometimes it kind of gets <laughs> nested there. Um my question for you. Yeah. One of my favorite things is to point out who's asked about, who was talked about, what is asked about, what is talked about. And just the quick review here. You get a lot of stories at this time of year when people ask questions and the coaches or players are just right to answer them. And then all of a sudden that becomes like a capital T thing. Like, oh man, this player, this thing, they can't stop talking about it. Well, they can't stop talking about it because we can't stop asking about it. 
there's a difference between what people ask about and what people talk about. And when someone is asked a question and made to answer about a position, a player, or whatever, that's very different than when a coach or a player volunteers information about a position, a player. There's a couple examples here I have in my head, and I'm wondering if you've caught any of them here. But we we've, we know who the asked about all-stars are, probably Jaheim White, maybe DJ Oliver. But what's new is going to be asked about. What's important is what is talked about. So who are the talked about all-stars so far? Who are people talking about? that maybe it's a good sign for the offense, the defense, or even special teams. Well, there was one exchange that I noticed the other day um, or I've noticed a couple of times and, and, and I'm guilty of it. I'm, I'm one of the people who has talked about this person a lot, but it's when the discussion centers around bandit. And I have talked about James Hurd. He has been asked about, I believe Jordan Leslie just got asked about him the other day in his press conference. Um, He's been asked about back in the spring. I think we made a video about what the coaches said about him back in the spring. I've talked about how he's kind of a, I don't want to say again, don't want to say one dimensional, but he he's more of a pass rusher than anything else. And that might get him on the field earlier. But I noticed when discussing that position and who is what at that position in practice that from your notes, Heard was not one of the first guys mentioned. It was actually Tyron Bradley, the FCS transfer. Mm-hmm. Am I reading too much into that? Is that one of the the you know flip flops here of of heard about and talked about, or at least seen about um, to that position? Point, to your point, I think actually the question was heard, and Bradley came up with the answer. Yeah, so yeah. that's kind of what we're talking about there. Like, yeah, we're, we'll talk about you asked me about this guy, but let me talk about this guy as well too. And that's one of those veterans that body experience and and kind of fits in that position so i would i would put him on the list for sure and, and he's come up another i would say off to the side conversations i've had with people but like they like him and he's a different body than jerry bartlett or, or james Hurd for that matter he's a big kid one for you um uh yeah you go ahead couldn't help but um nick malone Catch the references from from Matt Moore yesterday on Monday about him. Yeah, I, I was going to say I, I, they they're all this talk about the the you know quote starting five kind of offensive line, and <clears throat> I think I've heard more from Matt Moore about Brandon Yates and Nick Ballone than some of his the, you know the five perceived starters on the offensive line. Now, some of that maybe is hope that they can get to seven players, which we, everybody talks about how great this offensive line is, and yet I don't know who their second cut is at all these positions yet. It might include like a Sullivan Weedman, which Probably not where you want to be, but also they can cross-train a couple people. They don't have to worry about that. I'm also not sure that they really want to be in business playing eight players when they're top five or six or so good. But that was definitely one. Um, EJ Horton. Just a couple of times now. We haven't even had the receivers coach, but Chad Scott's mentioned him. Neil Brown's spoken twice, mentioned him both times, including Saturday. It was his best practice, which, again, just a couple of days in at that point, but to be to be there already and again be taking outside reps the first couple of days no Cortez Bram at that position and that's somebody who with the perceived starter out Cortez Bram was sick back no worry now but they plucked him in and Horton did fine and, and Horton was a guy eh, is he inside is he outside he's outside now and he's very fast and he just looks apart that was definitely one that I noticed about and then from a player perspective like when the players talk that's always interesting they're likely to adapt their teammates on their side of the ball or in their position room 
what the heck was CJ Donaldson doing raving about Michael Lockhart? Do you catch that? <laughs> that stood out to me. You had me thinking about what was it last year where I think the, the defensive line was talking about one of the running backs. It might have been Tony Mathis. Like, so nothing like extraordinarily surprising. But yeah, like I, I maybe Dante Stills being like Tony Mathis, man, when he gets going, something, something, something. So yeah, I, I did catch that about CJ Donaldson the other day. Yeah. And they do not want to give him credit. That's the one thing, too. They never want to give the other players credit. But Lockhart last year, when players were talking about him, it was not behind a microphone, but it was in frustration on the field. Like, he he wasn't where he's supposed to be. He got here late, but didn't know where he's supposed to be. A little tired. And if you talk to people now, much smarter about the game. His body's in better shape. He's in a good spot to help the team. And if a running back is talking about a defensive tackle, a nose guard, sorry, closing gaps, he's not even in, chasing plays down. That's a name you write down and figure out, all right, where is Michael Lockhart going to be? Because it sounds like he's got number four's attention. That should mean something. I have one more for you. One that Shadon Brown spent quite a bit of time talking about the other day. Beanie Bishop. A lot of what Shadon Brown said was about his mentality and his approach to the game and how he's kind of taken on a leadership role. But um, Neil Brown talked about him with special teams the other day. Shadon Brown's talking about him. Um, you're seeing him out there on the field involved with both special teams and first and second team defense. So I kind of feel like, I mean, again, he's a transfer, one-year transfer. Like he was brought in to make an impact right away. But I do think maybe he was a little bit overlooked because he wasn't one of the transfers that came in in the spring. And maybe he's going to make more of an impact than originally thought. So – what did we think about him when they signed? I, I want to say the conversation was he was small. Am I wrong there? I think that might have been part of it. I, I I remember when he signed, I think I was like, okay, this is, you know, a, a nickel guy. This is a guy that's going to be your fifth cornerback or, or your third corner, you know, on the field or something like that. Because I remember, you know, he was at Western Kentucky originally, was very, very good there, then transferred up to Minnesota and became their nickel corner, their slot corner, basically. And and I figured he would kind of fill a similar role for West Virginia. Uh, again, not necessarily because of his size, although I do remember him being smaller, uh, but because I was like, hey, you know, he he tried to make this leap from group of five to power five, and he's not a starter, and that's fine. And, and you know, maybe he is. Maybe Minnesota just had a couple really nice cornerbacks uh, in front of him. He's 5'10", 185. I was, I was in the impression he was like a 5'8", five, 5'9 five, guy. Um and just watching him, he looked like he was about Jacoby Spell's size. And if I'm looking at Spells now, he's an inch taller and a pound lighter. So roughly that. But I was just eyeballing thinking, like, that's about the same size guy. He's not a small guy. Um, like Anthony Wilson in the backfield is a smaller guy. Um, Keyshawn Cobb is a smaller guy. Those are safeties. They kind of want some bigger, and I would say stronger people running with the cornerbacks. And he's that looks like a guy who's been through college weight rooms a couple of times. Upper body's big. He's, like, stout. And when he's running with the Devin Carter and they're fighting each other just for like position on a route, not even when the ball's in the air, he doesn't get rerouted a whole bunch. And that's, that's kind of important too. Not that, you know, it's legal, but like you're definitely going to jostle sometimes and you're going to get rerouted. And all of a sudden, if you wobble left and he's on the, uh, he's going inside on a slant on his right, you're in trouble there. And if he can stay square and like give it as good as he gets it, he's going to be okay there. Um, that's a person who just watching him play, I thought, all right, this is probably going to be a starter level guy. And then just the stuff from Shadon Brown yesterday about the alpha mentality and how he's come into that room that was maybe lacking a leader, even though Malachi Ruffin is really respected there. I think Bishop may be a more vocal guy. Um, 
Let's go into um the second week here now and the pads go on. We have a couple minutes here and we'll just spend a couple on this topic here. Who do we need to be talking about? What do we need to be talking about if and when we do this a week from now where we say, hey, this is a lot better than it looked like five, six practices ago. Um, or, hey, this is not where it needs to be when you get so close to Penn State. Because there are probably a few candidates here, too. Are we at the quarterback portion of the podcast yet? You'd like, you'd like to have some separation soon, I would think. They may even keep it quiet just for competitive purposes. Like, again, if Penn State's in the stands watching practice, okay, I get it. They're not going to go out and, and give you everything in a press conference, make it work at least, and drive down to Morgantown to spy. But you'd like to hear something like effusive about one of the two soon. Well, you tell me, I mean, I I know you said, well, you only got to see like a few minutes of a two minute drill or something like that, but has there been, I mean, it seems limited on what's been able to be seen as far as like actual quote unquote football for the, for the quarterbacks, at least. Have you been able to tell a difference between the two this fall? This is observational because I don't know what they're running when they're doing two minute stuff. A lot of it's organization, I think, and just like it, it's it's like cardio as much as like it's a mental thing too. Can we get down the field quickly? And so the drill was one forty one. You get the ball at your forty two. You have one timeout left, and you go. And they got a field goal and two drives. And Garrett Green led the field goal drive. But Garrett Green converted a third down. He moved the ball with his legs. You know he did some good things. Nico Marchio missed two throws, and and one turned the ball over and down. So. Does that mean that Nico Marquez got an accuracy problem? I don't think so, but small samples. That's the thing for me. Like right now, people want to know about the quarterback. I can't tell you. And and when they're doing their warm-up stuff, everybody looks like an All-American when they're doing air, right? You're just throwing like slants to guys who are open on the hash. Easy. If you have problems with that, then I'm sure that solves a lot of the problems with the coaches. And I haven't seen that. And I can't make a ton out of the, the two-minute drill that we saw because that's a unique drill. The defense kind of knows you're not running the ball. You're going to be playing pass pro. So – that's hard for me to draw conclusions on. I would say that Green's a, a better, more willing runner and just seems like he's more comfortable when he gets to play in the call and has to run it. And then he knows when he can pull the trigger and run it. And he knows when he can make a throw too. And the ball just seems like it comes out of his hand. Sharper, faster, flatter. But that doesn't mean that Marky's got a bad arm. Marky may have an arm where he can just like go a little bit easier. He doesn't have to put quite as much oomph on it. And that maybe Green does, and that could just be a natural thing for Marquio. But that's an observation to me is that the ball just looks different coming out of Green's hands. Um, Marquio's got a nice touch, though, when he stretches the field. He might not be perfect underneath, but Green, to me, is not as good when he has to stretch the field and go vertical with it. But I can't use that as ammo to make a decision right now. That's why I don't make the money that those guys do. Unrelated question. The other thing I think needs to be – maybe discussed or figured out, or maybe, you know, WVU is hoping to see some legitimate playmaking from ride receiver. I think that's something that's been missing for the past few years. And there's been a lot of talk and, and I, I'm in agreement about the sentiment that there are the right pieces. They all fit like this puzzle together and bring different things, but they actually have to do something, you know, on field. And I think over the next week, once it gets into real football with pads, it would be nice to see if that's happening as well. Agreed. And then the other position of concern, and we might have seen a little bit of the preview here, is what they're going to do with Will. They they were asked a Lance Dixon question, and the the answer was kind of squirrely, like, okay, you know what we might do. It doesn't mean we're going to do it, but like, I think Lance Dixon is the in case of emergency, especially because they like Hershey McLaurin so much at Spear. So if worse comes to worse, you just slide Dixon over to Will. Um, he has experience there. They could, they could heat that up pretty quick if they want to. 
if McLaurin can play Spear, and I'm pretty sure that Christian Stokes was at Spear the other day too. So they're they're moving people around and trying to get some ideas there. But we also saw Tyreek Austin Cave playing Will um, in that two minute drill that we saw. They had two mics on the field. They had Lee Koba and Tyreek Austin Cave. Uh, Austin Cave was the Will. Koba was the mic, and they played. That was your first string defense there too. And when they came with the twos, uh, Jaido Favoris was the mic, and Ben Cutter was the Will. Those are both wills. So are they trying to get as many wills in the field as once to see what they can do? I don't know. Were they optioning or giving a Austin Cave an option there? I don't know. But like if they have some sort of progress or even a development where, hey, we move Dixon or we're not going to move Dixon or, hey, we're moving Austin Cave or thinking about moving Austin Cave. You'd like to know more about that so they can actually get their hit the road with a, a plan as to who goes where because September 2nd is coming quick. And so is the end of this podcast, Mike. This is... uh going to be a busy next couple of weeks and looking forward to seeing what kind of progress is being made on the field. Maybe, hopefully we get some more access to some of these practices and see with our own eyes. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we have fake mustaches and noses and glasses too. If you're uh, from Duquesne or Pitt or whatever. I love this. I love the fact that there are people from the other schools in the stands watching West Virginia on the first Saturday of the summer, but okay, that's fine. Uh, player interviews today and not sure who it's going to be kind of a dealer's choice neil brown wednesday afternoon and then i believe the first scrimmage is saturday of this weekend don't know that we'll be allowed in for that one again no more plans for the media bm but that sounds like it'll change and if it happens when it happens we will be there we will have you covered until then i'm mike Sazza. and i'm chris anderson we will talk to you then okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.